we have in our gospel today this classic story of the man born blind from John. It's always a treat in year A of Lent. Uh, we read the readings that are normally only reserved for the scrutinies, um, the classic stories that are kind of long sometimes, but so rich in lots of detail, like the uh, story of the woman at the well, the man born blind, etc. Um, these stories that paint a picture that we can all put ourselves in. I think we realize that our place in the story, we have many pl- roles that we could occupy of the people in the story of the man born blind, but most of all, it's the man himself. Um, we are all born in sin, and we are all born blind. Uh, Catechism says that the two effects of, of original sin are that they darken the intellect and they weaken the will. That's what sin does to us, is that we can't see uh, the truth in front of us of who God is, um, what we should do about that, who we are as human beings, and our will is weakened, that even when we do see the good that we're um, obliged to do by our conscience, we're, we're too weak to do it, or we're tempted by things that we shouldn't do. And so we are this man born blind, and in a way it's, it harkens back, and I've mentioned this before, to the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve's eyes are opened, it says. Um, and that's almost an ironic statement because actually they become blind in their grasping at the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They're trying to know too much. They're trying to overreach and become the judges of what's good and what's bad instead of receiving from God um, that truth and following it in faith. Um, and in so doing, they, their eyes are open, but as Cardinal Ratzinger says, they're open to the externals while they're blinded to the internals. So they can see, that's why they have to put clothes on, because they, they know that now I can't be seen by my fellow human beings for who I am on the inside, and, and so I have to kind of cloak my outside because we're so fixated on externals. And so in the book of Samuel, like when Samuel is going to um, anoint the king to replace Saul, he goes to Jesse's sons, and he sees Eliab and says, oh, this has got to be the one. Look at him. He's tall, handsome, strong, confident. And God says, um, not as man judges does God judge. For man sees the appearances, but God uh, sees the heart. That's the point, is that we are blinded even to our own hearts. Like we, we've, the, the Pharisees in the gospel are always this foil, that they're so hardened in their heart, they cannot see. It's like this impermeable, waterproof shell that grace just can't get in because they, they refuse um, to be vulnerable. They repu- refuse to, to open themselves up to even see their own dysfunction, their own need for a Savior. So at every moment, Jesus is offering them grace, and it, it, he just bounces right off them. Whereas the weak and the vulnerable and the, the sinner and the blind and the, the deaf and the leper, like these are the people that have soft enough uh, vision to, be, to realize that they're blind, realize that they're in need of a Savior. Then Jesus does this thing to the man. He, he spits on the ground, makes clay out of his spit and the mud, and rubs it on his eyes. Now, not only is that a total nightmare of social distancing, uh, but it's also kind of a weird detail. St. Augustine says that the spit represents his divinity and the earth represents his humanity, meaning that it's Jesus' divine vision that he can see the man's heart, he can see who he really is, he can see through the crowd to the man born blind, and yet is this earthy, visible, tangible presence. I don't know about you, but in my life, uh, there have been times where, I, where I've just encountered the Lord Jesus in this way, where I'm sure it's God's love. I'm sure I'm being seen all the way through. 
and yet there's some tangible human element. Like it wouldn't be enough for me to just stand out in a field and just absorb God's love. It has to be in some human encounter. For me, it was a, a confession when I was a teenager and Eucharistic adoration when I was in seminary. Two hallmark experiences and, and many others, but those big ones where it's just like, I knew that was Jesus because it had those hallmarks. It was the spit and the dirt. It was God's divine, infinite presence and love, but in a way that I could see and in a way that was kind of tailor-made to my humanity. And it's that kind of encounter that's the only way to see. Like, we cannot lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. We cannot try to figure out the mystery of our own lives. Only in recognizing that we need a Savior, that we are blind, and then that Savior coming from the outside and, and doing something to us, encountering us, and then imagine the first thing that that man sees is the Lord's face. Well, he's going to the pool of Siloam, but he, he has to come back and he, and he sees Jesus for who he really is. And it's like a mystery of like, how did that happen? Who was that? Then we have on the, on the flip side, these Pharisees, like I said, um, who ironically think they can see. They, they think they have all the answers, right? At the beginning, the disciples ask him, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Why, why, did he, why was he born blind? And the Pharisees later on confirm their judgment of the case. They say, you were born entirely in sin and you can teach us. You, know, like you just hear the arrogance and the, the dramatic irony that John's trying to show. is like, these guys have no clue what's going on in front of them. And yet they're sure they know. And the man born blind's answer is so perfect. He goes, who this man is, whether he's a sinner, I don't know any of those things. All I know is that I was born blind, and now I can see. That's the plain fact in front, of me, in front of us, is like what the Lord has done in our lives. And it reminds me of St. Bernard of Clairvaux's 12 Steps of Pride, that his first step on the way up to habitually doing evil and self-justification and all the, all the uh, dysfunction of, of pride, of spiritual pride, the most dangerous of all the sins, the very first step is curiositas, curiosity, not minding your own business. The first step toward humility, on the other hand, is fear of God, is repenting, re- realizing that like all I have control over, all I have responsibility for is my own sin, my own relationship with God. I can't pretend to be going out and saying, like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, when I refuse to accept my own responsibility. And that, I think, in this day and age, I think, especially in the time of, of stress and of pestilence and plague. Um, there's always this temptation. I haven't seen it too much yet, but I'm sure we will see it in the days to come, and especially after the situation is resolved. People pretending to know the meaning of historical events and blaming certain people either politically or economically, saying like, oh, this is because of this policy or this politician, um, or even more spiritual uh, explanations of like, oh, the reason COVID came was because of your sin or that person's sin. And, What we do know, what we can say, is that all of suffering, all of sin and death itself has come into the world because of our corporate responsibility. We have all sinned. We have all been born blind. And it reminds me of Thomas Merton when World War II broke out. It was kind of during his conversion, and he realized that this war isn't just because of Hitler. It's because of me, too. Like, every, all of us have responsibility. Who am I to say that my pettiness, my vengeance my um, selfishness, just because I'm not in a position to magnify that through political power, 
doesn't mean that I'm somehow exempt from responsibility for the, all of the suffering in the world. And yet, only individually can we accept responsibility. Right? We, we cannot blame others. We cannot assign everybody else's responsibility. All we can do is, like the man born blind, come to Jesus and say, I'm in need of a Savior. We all are, but I, first of all, need to be saved. Um, and I'll leave you with this, maybe for, as a meditation. This whole story is so beautiful and worth reading and rereading. But to really place yourself um, in the person of that man born blind, to have never seen a thing in your whole life, and then all of a sudden something's happening. You can hear noises, you, you hear people talking, and then you hear the spitting, and then you hear the rubbing of the dirt and the clay, and you feel it on your eyes. And then this mandate, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and then all of a sudden you can see and this whole new way of life is open to you. Um, that's what Jesus is offering all of us in all times and places through these divine encounters tailor-made to our tangible humanity um, to open our eyes and to really see uh, the way the world is who we really are in relationship to God, the magnitude of his love for us, and how particular it is to each and every one of our own hearts.